Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, FTS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in true crime, and sometimes those guests are anonymous, rarely, but today it's a special guest, and she remains anonymous, and we'll tell you why in a moment. But uh, Family Week continues here on Surviving Survivor. Uh, we had Kerry Rawson on the show last night, a very, 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 very powerful episode. Of course, her dad uh, is a notorious serial killer, uh, Dennis Rader, and that show uh, getting a lot of attention. She broke some news about some ongoing investigations into BTK uh, right now. But uh, tonight, far from that, uh, we have uh, the very... Beautiful, sweet, and intelligent Ruth Markell. She is Dan Markell's uh, mother. We are welcoming her back to the show. Uh, Dan Markell, for those who do not know, is the Harvard-educated FSU law professor. He was gunned down in his Tallahassee driveway back in 2014. So if you do the math, it's been over nine very sad years since his cold-blooded murder Two hitmen and a female go-between uh, named Katie Magbanua are already convicted of the crime and are serving sentences, uh, life sentences, except for one of them, serving 19 years in a plea deal in prison. Our best guest, as I mentioned, Ruth Markell. She is the author of the widely acclaimed book about her son's murder, The Unveiling, A Mother's Reflection on Murder, Grief, and Trial Life. Prior to writing The Unveiling, Ruth was already a noted author, a public speaker, and the president of RNM Enterprises, a leading management consulting firm. Uh, she coined the phrase that I love, don't get lost in the loss. Love that. Do not get lost in the loss. We can ask her about that. She's appeared on 2020 Inside Edition, Court TV, Dateline, NBC, uh, and she participated in the hit podcast Over My Dead Body by Wondery. I know that both Dateline and 2020 are getting ready to do new uh, episodes on the Dan Markell murder case. So this is indeed high profile. Uh, next up in the blue shirt, a friend of the show who you know well, John Singer, soft-spoken, but has a, a wealth of knowledge between those ears. He's the co-founder of Singer Deutsch LLP, a graduate of the Georgetown Law Center. You cannot say Georgetown Law School, you have to say the Georgetown Law Center, I believe it is. Uh, he was de designated a New York super lawyer every year, dating back to 1597. He makes regular appearances on CNBC. And then last, but certainly not least, behind that very cool-looking avatar, that is the mysterious fancy fiction. Uh, she is, in my opinion, one of the most intriguing people surrounding the ongoing Dan Markell case. She remains anonymous, hosting a YouTube channel with the same name, Fancy Fiction. And if you notice, Fancy is spelled with an I, like Wendy Adelson. And uh, she has been following this case uh, very closely, posting painstakingly important videos, highlight, uh, highlighting pertinent wiretaps related to all the major players, some who are implicated, others not in the Dan Markell case. And as I said, and I'm not joking, she knows more about this case uh, than pretty much everyone, uh, except for uh, probably Ruth and the attorneys involved. 
And uh, I guess that even could be uh, questionable. But I uh, want to thank Ruth again for coming on the show. Ruth, love the glasses. And I just want to let the audience know that some of these investigations are ongoing. So uh, there's certain things she just simply cannot speak about. And that is why we have John Singer and Fancy Fiction. But Ruth's book is called uh, The Unveiling, A Mother's Reflection on Murder, Grief, and Trial Life. And uh, we're going to try to get the book cover and all that up. For full disclosure, the COE, the chief of everything, she is down and out with COVID, everyone. Yes, COVID. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so she normally puts up all the graphics and everything. Uh, we're a small shop here at STS, so if one goes down with COVID, we all go tumbling. The kids are home from school. The nightmare scenario in the Waldman uh, household has emerged, but we are toughening it out. So, John Singer... Uh, I'm actually going to start with you and then go to Ruth. So there was a hearing last week uh, in the Charlie Adelson trial. For those who do, do not know, he is the ex-brother-in-law, son-in-law of Ruth Markell, the brother-in-law of Dan Markell. Uh, he's going to stand trial for the murder of Dan Markell, uh, having hired hitmen to kill him. Uh, the trial is still on track for October 23rd. Uh, any surprises that came out of that six-and-a-half-minute hearing for you, John, last week? No, I think in, in one of the prior um, hearings, Rashbaum had indicated that uh, he was making his last and final motion for a continuance, and that was what ended up continuing the case until October. So I expected um, this to be short. I expected things to be on track, and it looks like jury selection will be on October 23rd, and opening statements um, provided that a jury can be impaneled would be on October 26th. So um, it looks like everything is ready to roll less than two months at this point. And I know um, all your listeners and, and, and the like are looking forward, as are we, um, to justice uh, prevailing here. Hmm. And uh, Fancy, as I said, and, and John and you are aware of, this hearing only lasted six and a half minutes. Uh, basically, lawyers just firmed up some deadlines. A trial is set to go. Uh, with jury selection on Monday, October 23rd. That is expected to last anywhere from three to five days. Uh, and the trial should wrap in two to three weeks per uh, his attorney, Daniel Rashbaum, uh, by November 9th. Anything uh, stand out to you? Uh, what do you think of the way uh, Charlie Adelson looked to you? I know uh, you're not, you never shy away from posting uh, photos of the Adelson's fancy. Um, yes. Yeah, so thanks for having me. And um, I guess at first, in terms of how Charlie looked at the, his hearing, um, there's some people that I think take the opportunity when they're in jail and don't have a lot to do to work out, maybe do push-ups, um, you know, uh, really work on their physical fitness. Charlie's not doing that. Charlie definitely packed on some of the pounds. I would be saying the same thing if his hair were gray. Um He's definitely gained some weight. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, the freshman 10 when you go away to college. I guess it's like, I don't know, the jail 20 or 15. But um, he's definitely been hitting those honey buns. So I did notice that. I noticed that he was also clean shaven. And I noticed that his lawyers were very um, friendly and with a female lawyer rubbing his shoulders and you know, touching him. So it was almost like this baby face good guy was the appearance that I that I was seeing. The other thing that stuck out to me is that uh, I believe it was five to six days. Um, Daniel Rashbaum said he would need for his 
self-defense, which just seems like a really long time to me, which makes me curious how many, what's he's going to spin out there. Those were the two takeaways. And we're going to get back to that with both Fancy and uh, the inimitable John Singer about possible defense uh, strategies. Uh, Gerald McGrill, doesn't Joel live in Florida? Yes, I do. Fortunately, I'm in South Florida on the east side in Miami. Uh, thoughts go out to those uh, in what they call the Big Bend up there in Tallahassee area. I reached out to Tim Jansen, a very big friend of the show, who's a Tallahassee defense attorney who knows a lot about this case. He said that they were basically, they got away unscathed, but there are areas that are uh, underwater in northern Florida, so I hope they're doing uh, okay. Uh, by the way, if anyone has heard uh, from uh, Marina Archetype from the south of Spain, please let me know how she's doing. Someone pointed that out yesterday. I have not seen her, and that's uh, not a good sign. But there is uh, Ruth Markell right on cue, the COE with COVID and everything. She is a uh, help now. Uh, your late son on the right side, that must be difficult to hear still. The book cover on the left side, the unveiling. Uh, for those who are new to this case, tell us a little bit about the book. Um, I know it's written from you know different perspectives, uh, obviously that of a devastated mom and engaged citizen. But what what is what is the key? What are the key takeaways? Uh, you know from this book that you that you spent so much time writing. First of all, thank you, Joel, uh, for having me again, and uh, certainly John and Fancy, who are active contributors. I do have to say, before I will talk about the book, which does talk about grief, uh, a little bit about sensitivity right now to everybody now who's suffering. Uh, I was really watching the news carefully. We have a lot of uh, really close friends in Tallahassee. I have a nephew in Tampa. And, uh, of course, my grandchildren are in South Florida, where you are, Joel. So I, I just kind of want to say that these are all extra burdens um, that all kinds of people are actually going through right now. And my heart is out to them. So the book, the book is called The Unveiling, particularly uh, because I do want to give a voice to grief and a voice to loss. Uh, the Unveiling is a Jewish ritual which occurs any time from 30 days to 11 months after somebody is buried. And in my case, uh, it was about nine months. And the reason I chose the title, because prior to the unveiling, I was sad, I was in shock, I was in a daze. But when the unveiling happened, it was when the tombstone was put on the grave site, for me, that was where my deep, deep grief started. And I want to give a voice to grief. Here, your family, unfortunately, is home from COVID. Uh, there's been a lot of deaths from COVID in the last few years. There's been tons of, unfortunately, like the school shootings, the mass shootings, and so on. So I think that we have to be okay to talk about grief. And that was really one of the purposes of the book. Um. Seems like there's plenty of grief to go around. So uh, obviously, it's a much needed uh, book uh, during this time. Um, seems like a lot of people are suffering for different reasons. Uh, and that is really unfortunate. Teresa weighing in here. Uh, this story is one that I feel really has to be seen right through. I won't be content until they're all behind bars. Fancy, let's just get it out of the way here. Um, this is something that Ruth cannot speak to, but I know you've talked about. Um do you think we're going to see other indictments here? And, and who do you think might be next? Some people have actually predicted a possible indictment before Charlie's trial. Everyone else says afterwards, let's just put it out there. For those who do not know, 
Uh, the Adelson family consists of Mother uh, Donna and the daughter, Wendy, who was married to Dan Markell. And a lot of people think Wendy uh, is responsible for a lot of what has happened. And of course, her brother, Charlie, about to go on trial, as we just talked about. Fancy, are we going to see other indictments in this case, do you think? Uh, I do think Donna, I think after Charlie's trial, and I'm 50-50 on, uh, on Wendy. And from everything I've seen, I've seen indications that Harvey was aware of the plot, but uh, nothing that he and nothing that he did to further uh, the conspiracy no acts. So I don't think so with Harvey. Yes, with Donna. I don't know with Wendy, but hopeful. And uh, fancy, as you know, uh, my beautiful mother, who's still in the Holy Land, coming back in a few days. I'm going to rejoin the show on Sunday nights. Uh, she called out Harvey Adelson long ago. She thinks he is much more involved than people think. Uh, and look at this right here. I'm not T-Pain. We'll throw this one. Uh, John Singer, do you know, you and I gener generationally are the exact same, uh, give or take a year. When I first read I'm Not T-Pain, I read out loud I'm Not In Pain. I'd never heard of the, have you ever heard of the rapper T-Pain, John Singer? Yes, well, you you know that my lovely wife is in the music business, so I have soaked up every bit of knowledge from her. So, um, if, if you weren't uh, married to her, would you know that? I'm <laughs> um, that's that's a different story. Probably okay. not. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, I'm not Keith Payne, big friend of the show. A lot of smart questions. Do you believe there are co-conspirators? And if so, do you believe they will also be held accountable? Basically, the same question I just asked. Um, to fancy fiction. Let's just get it out there, and we can circle back as to why. But what, what's your short answer to this, John Singer? Uh, I think Donna will certainly be indicted. I, I do agree with Fancy um, with respect to Wendy. It's it's fifty fifty. I'm hoping that um, the government does indict her. Um, with respect to Harvey, I, I think there's there's certainly evidence that we saw at the Arthur hearing from the Matsuri tape that um, Harvey knew about the plot. Certainly. After the fact, whether or not he knew ahead of time, whether or not he took any steps in furtherance of the conspiracy, I don't believe that's been proven. And I think at his age, as he's um, nearing uh, 80, I think he's 70, just turned 79. Um, by the time they get to him, I'm not sure um, how much interest there's going to be. Just just pick up on one thing Fancy said about the latest um, status conference. Uh, I, too, noticed... Um, the, the other attorney, not Rashbaum, but I, I think her name is Myers, um, sort of rubbing Charlie's shoulders. It, it reminded me of the Menendez trial when Leslie Abramson would often do that with Eric Menendez, who at the time was like 21. I mean, Charlie is now in his late 40s. So sort of the same maneuver, sort of the same um, motherly uh, stroking, if you will. But, but I, that the first thing I thought of was the Leslie Abramson, uh, Eric Menendez interactions when I saw that during the uh, the last status conference. And we've been covering that case as well, and there's uh, uh, a lot of momentum to get those two uh, out of prison. By the way, what do you think of how Charlie uh, looked? He's very physically fit at one point. It looks a little more uh, meatball-ish. What do you think, John Singer? I, I thought he looked terrible. I mean, I thought uh, Fancy's right. I mean, he looked haggard, and um, he, he had... I mean, he was smiling, you know, quite a bit, and he looked like he didn't have a care in the world. So his demeanor was was genial, if you will, um, in comparison to the Arthur hearing where he was sort of robotic and, and very stoic. Um, but as far as his physical appearance, I mean, uh, prison has taken a uh, toll on him for sure. 
very carb heavy heavy meals there. Uh, sensory combustion. Wendy deserves a life sentence. Uh, followed here by Laura Waldy. What's up, Joel? Best guest in STS Nation. Looking forward to an update with Dan's case. Sure hope Wendy gets arrested soon. Uh, STS Nation, uh, you've got Ruth Markell. That is uh, not an easy get. So if you have questions for the great Ruth Markell, John Singer, or Fancy Fiction, who uh, she's the insider on this, um, please send them our way, and I'll get to them as we go through uh, the chat. But uh, Ruth, just some housekeeping here. Uh, you've got two big uh, book appearances coming up. Um, one October 22nd, which is a Sunday. I believe that's in Toronto. And then you're actually going to do one on the eve of the trial in Tallahassee. Uh, tell us about those book signings and people who have been following this case closely. They're going to be all but certainly listen or watch this podcast. And by the way, you need to check out Fancy Fiction's YouTube channel where she posts all these wire uh, taps and it's under her name, Fancy with an eye fiction. But uh, Ruth, tell us about these book signings. Um, what do you what do you talk about here? And uh, you, you actually sign books, and, and if people come to see you, or they get a chance to talk to you as well. It's all of the above. First of all, I want to say uh, that right now I do have to thank all the podcast people who I've participated with. I would say in a, in a nice way, we're kind of on the second round. Uh, COVID has quietened down and there's many more people now who want to come out to uh, public events. Uh, I'm very fortunate that we have organized two very big ones. Uh, the first one is in Toronto. And it actually has a, a, a nuance um, that we have that I've talked about, but not so much uh, on this program, which is brainwashed children, crime, and grandparent alienation. And I chose the, the brainwashed children aspect because I think that there's so much divorce today. There's so much parental alienation. And a lot of families are so distressed and there's a lot of negative thinking. And the purpose is to really address the issue of many times a person, one of the parents or grandparents even, they're so upset with the situation when they finally might see the child, that's all they talk about is how difficult it is uh, for them as a result of the divorce or for, or for being alienated. So I think it's a really important topic. It's an important social issue. Uh, I hope to get a bit of a younger crowd out as well. And crime. And then in Canada, as much as we've had uh, a fair amount of exposure of the Dan Markell murder, it's it's not unknown. It comes up, you know, at all the critical times, but it's not as ongoing. And we aren't as fortunate as uh, Joel to have all the continuous uh, coverage. And of course, Judy and Demontre Lawyer, and I'll soon forget somebody else, Carl, uh, Carl and uh, John, and all the others. So. That's sort of an opportunity to really tell the story uh, of, of un the unfortunate story and the horrific story of Dan Markell's murder. And now to Tallahassee. So Tallahassee, I'm speaking on um, October 26th, uh, sorry, 25th, just before Hope opening arguments. Um, I think we're in the right place. The judge said the other day, that he doesn't expect um, the opening arguments to start before the, the 26th. And here's another reason to have this event. I owe the Tallahassee community a tremendous amount. When, when Dan was murdered and we came to Tallahassee um, the Saturday morning, on the Sunday by 12 noon, uh, the Shumrei Torah Synagogue had fully, fully organized a major event. 
And we really have all these friends of Dan's who we've now met uh, over the years. We, you know, Dan has been murdered uh, since 2014, but he lived in Tallahassee since 2005, 2006. So there's a long prehistory, uh, you know, of, of his of his death. And the other reason also is the uh, law school. So uh, Dan taught and and was memorialized at FSU Law School, who also had a, a, a very, very large event at the time, three months later. So I think for me, I really want to say thank you. It's an expression of gratitude. It's an expression of showing the, the Tallahassee audience uh, the opportunity to to meet the to meet me for sure, so I'm excited about not excited about having to talk about the unveiling my book, but certainly about the opportunity to give back uh, to the Tallahassee community. And, and Ruth, we've had a uh, Dateline correspondent Dennis Murphy on with you. Uh, and are you able to tell us is that still going to air sometime in? Oh yes. So yes, we're in media. The world of media and the and the family, the Dan Markell story, and particularly me, we're hand in hand. They're great partners. Um, in fact, ABC uh, 2020 is coming to Toronto uh, this Friday. We're taping all day long. Of course, they'll take 10 minutes, maybe 10 minutes would be yeah. a lot, but we're taping all day. Phil and I are uh, are joining the ABC team. And, uh, and Dateline 2020, uh, sorry, Dateline um, NBC, was here last year. They we, they were not certain whether they were going to actually have a program right after Catherine's retrial. Uh, it didn't exactly happen then, but they have all the interviews done and will certainly be, they usually attend uh, at the trial. I expect to see them at Charlie Adelson's trial and other people. And I just did Court TV on Sunday night and they're planning to come. So I think there'll be even more media this time than normal, which is a lot, and all of the print and, um, you know, different podcasters. And I hope to see you, Joel, in uh, Tallahassee. We're uh, we're planning to get up there, uh, me and my right-hand man, Steve Cohen, otherwise known as Meve Moen. We're going to get up there, and uh, maybe we can do something in conjunction with the book signing, maybe do a live show. So uh, we will sure. we can that talk off. about that for, yeah. yeah, one of the other weekends or something. Sure. It's all exciting. That'd, yeah, it'd be great. Uh, Leanne Forsberg, we got Canada in the house here. All addicted to STS Nation from Canada, as I say, better than crack cocaine. Be addicted to STS. <laughs> Uh, some people don't like that old joke. Uh, Kathy Glassberg from Toronto, uh, the home of Dan Markell and Ruth Markell. And uh, Space Coast is in the house here. Say hello to him. There's the book. Uh, John Singer, um, you always have to find some black humor and serious stuff. And uh, I just saw it a moment ago, COE, but there's a quote from Daniel Rashbaum uh, that made me chuckle a little bit because he is the uh, Jewish defense attorney for Charlie Adelson, and he's from South Florida, and I read his quote, and it starts, as I would start, I have a little bit of anxiety and concern uh, that we might go long, uh, Defense Attorney Daniel Rashbaum says. It depends on what happens in their case, what our case looks like, but I wanted to alert the court that I think our case could be lengthy, and I think our case could go a week, five or six days of testimony, so I just want to give the court a heads up on that. Nice to know that other Jewish men are suffering from anxiety, John Singer, not just me. Uh, but what do you what do you read into this? Um, what's he trying to tell the judge here? 
Well, I think that, you know, there's always a possibility that trials can go longer than expected. And the last thing you want to do is alert the judge to that midstream. You you want to at least um, plant that seed ahead of time so that the judge isn't trying to force your way through or force you to speed up your case if that's if that is, in fact, what happens. So I think it's just his way of signaling that there's a possibility that the defense case could go on for five or six days. And if that's the case, then we're going to need more time on the back end. But um, it, it's a, certainly a mystery to me as to, you know, how that could take five or six days. I think Charlie's going to testify. I thought so from the beginning. And um, I think he has to, um, given the fact that there's just no other likely explanation for why these two individuals drove up from South Florida to effectuate this murder. Um, so he's going to have to testify. He's going to take a couple of days on the witness stand by the time they do direct and cross. And I'm sure they'll call certain witnesses um, to testify if they can find any as to his character or um, the fact that he's bereft of any sort of criminal record. Maybe his roommate, Jerome Obed, will testify. I, I always wondered why he wasn't called by the prosecution in either of the first two trials. He was the dermatologist that I believe was living with Charlie at the time of the murder or at or about the time of the murder. The fact that the prosecution didn't call him leads me to believe it's possible the defense could call him. He, he's certainly someone who could testify. Um, the mother of his child could testify. Um, she has every incentive and in Charlie getting out of prison and being um, back in the workforce and earning money to help support um, their shared child. So perhaps she can offer testimony. Um, but, you know, when the witness list come out, we'll know for certain. But it just because he says it could last five or six days certainly doesn't mean it's going to. It's just a way of signaling to the judge um, that we may, we may need more time on the back end and that there shouldn't be any surprises mid-trial. And again, with uh, Fancy and John, in just a couple minutes, we'll get into possible defense strategies. By the way, John, your toupee looks excellent. The summer treating you well. <laughs> nice fan. People accuse John Singer of having a toupee. That is his real hair. Um, Kathy Glassford says, prison to all the Adelsons, followed by Bonnie Lee Lopez. Ruth's book, The Unveiling. And again, she's going to be uh, doing book signings in Toronto, October 22nd, and Tallahassee on the 25th. Uh, the Unveiling had me in tears. Uh, what this re remarkable, brave mother has been through, and it's still not over. Grandparent alienation is elder abuse, and uh, uh, Ruth can certainly talk to that in a few minutes. Um, fancy to you, uh, by the way, Teresa says, uh, who's in the UK, I believe, uh, Ruth's book is brilliant, very sad. So this has taken on a global presence, this story, uh, Copper Horse from the great state of New Jersey, where I am. Uh, fancy, um you know, there was all this talk about Katie McBanawa um, and, you know, offering a proffer. Um, and then there's some questions people wanting to know if there's any chance she's going to testify about Charlie Adelson. Um, you are the insider. Have you heard anything? Uh, what do you anticipate regarding Katie specifically? All I know is what I've heard in terms of insider, what I've heard from Tim Jansen on your channel. So... Uh, which he said, you know, says that he's heard rumors that it's not um, that the information she gave could not be corroborated by independent facts. So and that she won't be used and that ship has sailed and she will not be getting a deal. But obviously that is 
what he's saying he heard, I don't know is a fact, but I tend to believe it because he's in the right circles to know. And I don't think he would say that if he didn't know for sure. So um, I, I really don't know. I, that's a legal question, but my gut tells me uh, that she won't. Uh, Kyle D'Angelo, is this a repeat? How dare you, Kyle? This is new content being churned out daily by the team here at STS. Uh, just looking at a comment there. Uh, John Singer, and then we're getting back to Ruth. So uh, Sigfredo Garcia, the convicted uh, hitman who's now going to be spending life in prison, um, who was dating. This is all very convoluted for those new to the case, but he was He's the baby daddy of Katie McBanawa, the, the middle man or middle woman, if you will, in this case, who also, she happened to date Charlie Adelson at one point, so that's how you connect the dots. But Sigfredo Garcia is going to be spending uh, the foreseeable future uh, in state prison in Florida, and that doesn't seem like a lot of fun. Well, he filed a motion for post-conviction relief, an appeal of sorts. Is that SOP, John? Uh, what did you make of that? Is that a big nothing burger? Is he staying put? Yeah, it, it is a big nothing burger. I read it. Um, you know, he's arguing essentially his main argument was that he had the um, ineffective counsel and he cited to certain things that his counsel did or didn't do in the 2019 trial, certain objections his counsel failed to make, certain strategic moves that his counsel employed or failed to employ. So that's standard operating procedure. He's, in a nutshell, he's arguing that he had an effective counsel, and um, it, it certainly, what I read, um, doesn't rise even close to the level of that. So I, I think that he has no prayer. He's going to be spending the rest of his life in jail. Man, uh, I just stop my tracks every time I think of that. People do the stupidest things, and they don't understand the repercussions. But for me, uh, life in state prison is enough to walk away from anything I could do. Uh, that's that stupid. So, uh, Ruth, back to you here. Um, so it's been over nine years, which is hard to believe. Uh, Dan was a man of uh, true belief, getting more and more uh, involved in his Judaism as time was going on. Uh, stopped in his track, sadly. But the Jewish holidays, uh, which I know he looked forward to, are coming up. Um, what is it like for you and the family to celebrate those holidays in just a couple of weeks uh, if not less, actually, um, without your son, without your grandchildren's father? Thank you for the question. Actually, this is one of the hardest times. Um, I'll just explain uh, to the audience. So we also have a tradition uh, before the Jewish holidays of going to visit the cemetery uh, where somebody has been buried. I have my day planned actually for tomorrow. The holidays are in two weeks from now. And for me, I've always um, helped. It was always helpful for me to be at the cemetery because that's my really private time uh, when I can engage. In that. And everybody mourns differently. Everybody has different styles. For me, the the importance of the cemetery is because I live a busy life and it's very, very quiet and it's a chance for me to really engage. And, and it's a difficult thing because at the time I had to initially, I don't talk out loud, but I, in the moment I have to tell Dan that he was murdered. And then later on, you know, when he, when the children were not involved with us, 
that was devastating for me. So there, there is, this is actually a very hard time. I think there's other times in the year where it's easier. The Jewish holidays, Danny is not at the table. The children are not here. Uh, there's no kind of, you know, feeling or representation. It's also his birthday. Uh, so October, October 9th is Dan's, uh, his 51st birthday. And the, compilation of sort of the real personal time and the and the angst i will call it is very hard and then the trial is coming up and the trial also is talking about rashbam well the trial is anxiety provoking for a family <laughs> male or female or anything else like this is not an easy time it, it, it's it's actually the two together are probably one of the most difficult experiences other than post the murder and post the real living the tragedy but we we don't have any let up right this is this is the life that we we really are living and that's one of the things even in the book i talk about the trial life waiting all the time waiting and living in uncertainty and then a date comes up and you know you have to to get yourself ready we have to be psyched up also to go to trial things we don't talk about this case is so glitzy and glamorous but we see the offenders in the room. I mean, this to walk in and see, um, you know, with the first experience to see Garcia and Catherine. And then uh, when Rivera was the first witness, the first time he was a witness, I have to tell you, I was really very, very nervous. I, we had some friends who were there to support us. I couldn't go out that night because Rivera, you know, had to be a real critical voice in, in, in the process. And now, of course, we're getting into this new chapter, uh, Charlie Adelson's trial. So this is, this is tough stuff. This is murder is not for sissies, and the trial life is complex. Yeah, and it's a trifecta. You just heard, yeah, the Jewish holidays, Dan's birthday, he would be 51 years old, yeah. and the trial all uh, hitting Ruth and her uh, family at one time. Um, and then you see this comment from Scott, will Donna and Harvey fancy to you? Will Donna and Harvey be in court to provide moral support for Charlie? Um, that's something that most of us don't think about, but it's got to be uh, on the mind of uh, someone like Ruth Markell. Uh, fancy, what are you hearing? Do you think we're going to see any support uh, coming Charlie's way in the form of family members. I mean, there's no chance we're going to see Wendy, I don't think. But what do you think? Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing. I don't have any insight into this, but my, I would think no, because it would just be a media circus, especially with another co-conspirator, Donna, unindicted in the courtroom. I think that's very salacious. And I think that they don't want photos of them making faces just as I mean look at that photo of Charlie um looking right now on the screen I don't think they want photos of them like that in the media because uh, that's just my take on them so I don't think they will be mm. and there is a shot of uh the convicted hitman Sigfredo Garcia who ironically uh lived just about 30 blocks south of where I'm sitting right now uh right on Miami Beach um he was not a Latin Kings member, but Luis Rivera, uh, the person who recruited him for the shooting, uh, was. And uh, they have a presence here in South Florida, just uh, Asian-American legal focus. Our friend Judy Tang saying hello, uh, picking up where John Singer left off here, saying uh, they should grill Obed more. Uh, I think he held back in his depot because Charlie hadn't been arrested yet. If you guys haven't followed um, Judy's 
YouTube channel. It is Asian American Legal Focus, a fine attorney in her own right. So, uh, and here's another one saying Obed was tight-lipped in his depot. Uh, so, John Singer, uh, without further ado, um, what do you think Rashbaum's defense is going to be here? Um, you know, during this trial, he's got uh, sounds like five or six days to really lay out some sort of defense, and and what is he going to say to sway the jurors? Well, I, I think he'll one thing he'll do for sure with a hundred percent certainty is he'll try to cast doubt um, both on the evidence and on the credibility of the witnesses. So it, he already telegraphed that to a certain extent during the Arthur hearing. Um, when he was speaking about the Dolce Vita recording, he was focused, Rashbaum was, on some of the comments Charlie made um, that were arguably exculpatory, where Charlie was saying on the tape uh, that he had nothing to do with it and he was innocent, of course, those statements were self-serving because he had some inkling, Charlie did, that um, the government was listening. Um, but he'll point to the positive statements on the Dolce Vita recording. He will argue um, that Katie Magmanua had a get-out-of-jail-free jail card for many years. Um, all she had to do was ascribe blame or give up Charlie, and she failed to do it. Um, they're going to hammer that home. And they're going to say that Katie Magmanua didn't give up Charlie because there was nothing to give up. They're going to hammer Rivera and his credibility. Um, Rivera, if you recall, was far less effective in the second trial in 2022 than he was in the 2019 trial. So they now have two um, trial testimonies to look at and inconsistencies to hone in on with respect to Rivera. So that all we can expect. But given the commonsensical um, inference that one can draw that the Adelsons were involved, I think it's not going to be enough for Rashbaum just to impeach the credibility of the government's witnesses. <laughs> I think he's going to have to go further and tell a jury or give a jury some alternate explanation. Either he's going to say that um, Charlie commissioned the hitman to go scare Dan um, to have him capitulate to the relocation and the hitmen took it upon themselves to go further than just an act of violence and to morph it into murder. That's one possibility. Another possibility is he's going to say that Katie and the hitmen hatched this plot up on their own so that it could curry favor with the Adelsons. Um, who they knew uh, were deep-pocketed people, they did it on their own. They took Charlie's innocuous joke about a hitman, and they ran with it. Neither of those explanations are plausible. Neither of those explanations are truisms. Neither of those explanations are going to resonate with the jury. But I, I cannot see Rashbaum just resting on undermining the credibility of the state's witnesses because there's too much common-sense direct circumstantial evidence pointing at Charlie for him to risk just casting doubt on the government's witnesses. He's got to go more. He's got to do more. He's got to offer an alternative theory. Those are the only two I could come up with. Again, I don't believe those will resonate. I don't believe those have any legs to them, but he's got to do something. He's just not going to lay down. Mm. 
And uh, Rashbaum is no dummy at all. Uh, no. Partly I say that because I know he watches this show, so I know he's got to be kind of smart. <laughs> but uh, the fancy fiction to you, um, you know, John just said something interesting that, you know, uh, they were trying to curry favor with the Adelsons, and there is a belief that maybe the Adelsons are bankrolling uh, Mabinua's, uh children, et cetera, et cetera, uh, et cetera. Um, and there's a, the shot. Um, can you, for those who are not that familiar, can you tell us, you know, we've got the Dolce Vita tapes and the Maturi tapes now. What are the, how in your opinion, do the wiretaps implicate uh, Charlie and possibly some of these other Adelsons? Um, well, Georgia made a point, uh, I believe it was in her closing about Katie Magbanawa, because they were saying, right, their theory was it was done behind Charlie and Garcia had done this behind Katie's back for love was the motive. But if you think about it, Georgia made a really good point saying, if you look at the communications, if you look at the wiretaps, uh, you look at the communications of July 1st, when a lot of the planning was going on and all the players were talking up until the early mornings of the, the early morning hours on July 1st, 2014. And then if you just even look at the wiretaps, how the bump happens, it's Katie, you know, Charlie's implicated. Charlie is the link. You know, Katie's not calling Donna or Wendy, so pointing the fingers at other families. If you just look at those communications and the pattern of communications, Charlie functions just very much like Katie as the in, the in-between, in-between Katie and his mother, right? They're, they're pinging always back and forth. So I think that that implicates Charlie. It's going to be hard to explain if he wasn't involved, you know, wh why the communications were like that. Hmm. Um, and then people keep, so hey, Mona here says, uh, I keep hoping Katie kept a cell phone hidden with secret uh, texts. Um, John, is the state is the state going to touch Katie here? Are they going to bring her up to the stand? I mean, I, I've been of the belief since the inception that um, she would not get a deal, and that the government would be loath to calling her as a witness. If if you think about it from Rashbaum's perspective, he is hoping that Magmanu is called by the state because if she is, then he's going to turn that into a trial within a trial. And he's going to deflect the jury's attention away from Charlie and direct it into all the various instances in the prior two trials where Katie perjured herself. So if the state were now to present Katie as a witness, if she would testify that, yes, she was involved, and yes, Charlie had commissioned her, and in turn, she commissioned the hitmen, then Rashbaum would have a field day with that. That completely undercuts what she stated under oath in 2019. It completely debunks what she stated under oath in 2022. It would create such a morass for the jury that Rathbaum would embrace her being called as a witness. So again, you can never say anything with certainty, but I, I would think that the, the prospect of her being called as a witness by the government is extraordinarily low. Um. Ruth Markell, you talked about it very briefly about kind of getting up for the trial. Uh, trial sets kick off October 23rd. Um, can you sort of pull back the curtain? Um, most of us, um, you know, will obviously never go through this sort of experience, but um, how do you prepare mentally for a criminal trial, having to see your uh, ex-son-in-law, um, not son-in-law, um, I always get family dynamics messed up. Brother-in-law, Daniel. Yeah, that's yeah. the way to put it. Um, 
never understand families to this day. Uh, but Ruth, um, how do you prepare for this? Well, there's several ways. The hardest one is men mentally to be to be straightforward. Uh, you you know, it, it, we sometimes information helps. We do try to have um, opportunities to speak uh, to the prosecution. And one thing that did come up last week uh, is the uh, the witness list. You're mentioning it, but their witness lists are coming out uh, September 22nd, which is actually Shelley's birthday. Uh, so we we do have that kind of uh, discussion. There's also discussions about getting us ready uh, for the victim impact statements. And uh, it's not my favorite job. The first time I had to do it, it was even a delay of two, three years. It's People hear the victim impact statement, but now we're talking about what's the family going through. I'll talk about my own experience. It's like digging out the wounds again. Okay, so like the lawyers expect it, the public expects it, but this victim, writing a victim impact statement is tough because you have to really go back and uh, say the most beautiful things about Dan and what you miss and, and also to point out to the court uh, what is unique about uh, the person who's been murdered. So that that's trying. I mean, this is really, you asked what, what we go through, it's trying. And then uh, remember, you know, this case, like many other crimes, they're glamorous, they're glitzy, but when you sit there as a family member during deliberations, it is not any, it is like, you know, out, out of the world in, in terms of anxiety provoking and what can happen. And we did have a mistrial. You know, Catherine's first mistrial, we really weren't prepared. And we also weren't prepared, not just for that part, but when we finished the trial of Garcia, which was a similar day and time as Catherine, they talked about appeals. Remember, we're not lawyers, right? So um, not having an experience of what it feels like. You literally conclude a trial, and then there's the conversation about the appeals within the trial. Uh, so this is really, really tough because that was unexpected. The, the, the uh, sort of issue of a mistrial it's not that it was so unexpected, but we hadn't really thought it through that way. Because one, you know, you sometimes think, okay, they're both acquitted, or if not, they're both acquitted, then uh, you know they'll both be convicted, right? They get it. So this was a this was a difficult time. The other thing too, just to highlight it, so we uh, we're responsible. We we prefer to do some of our own communications with the public post a trial. So you know all these family statements. Uh, they come up frequently around the hearing. They frequently, for sure, uh, come out, um, you know, after the trial and we, we write them. But you're writing them in the moment when, you know, the, it just happens. So this is really, we're, we're capable family, so we have some skills, I'll say it out loud, to kind of get it together, to get it ready in a timely fashion. The other thing is um, the media sits in front of us, so now we can go into the courtroom. Uh, the courtroom um, has the first two, three rows now are um, always with um, the media and the big camera projector. And we, we the family, uh, sit pretty much behind. And, and we have to watch what we say in an informal way. Only once um, we, the media picked up a piece of our conversation. And uh, it wasn't a bad thing, but it was just that 
it was on news later on. Uh, we appeared in the afternoon of Yom Kippur, the first trial, and we said we're rushing back. And it was it was a funny situation because it was Catherine's trial. So otherwise, we would not have been in court on Yom Kippur. So that's a very high Jewish holiday. In case the audience doesn't know, it's a Day of Atonement. Uh, so so that was that was another experience, but. Over time, and over now we've been five weeks in court, if you figure three weeks, two weeks, not that we're experts in any way, but but you do have a little bit of learning. So I do say now, we won't comment because, you know, every day after you walk out of court, they, the media is there uh, to certainly, certainly get your input. And, um, and we now say, like, we'll talk at the very end, which we do do um, at the very end of the convictions and so on. So it's it's another per, it's another view of what our experience is, and sentencing is also um, a different uh, challenge and, and a different phase. And don't forget that public doesn't see all the appeals, and so now we're talking about the family who leaves the state attorney's office and then works with the attorney general office in Florida doing the appeals. So we can be involved in several relationships uh, with victim liaison and, and several uh, events are happening uh, simultaneously. So that's some of the background. It's a very different experience than how the viewer sees the, the sort of normal course of, of an ongoing trial. Um, Fancy, back to you, and then we're going to swing right back to Ruth. Um, So a lot of jokes made about um, Donna Adelson and Wendy Adelson regarding Pepto-Bismol and the stress that they've endured uh, since uh, this heinous crime was committed. Um, Have you gotten any insider info, any knowledge about how or what the Adelsons are doing now? I, I believe I saw you post something not long ago uh, where they were out food shopping, uh, Donna Adelson and her husband. But are they, as far as you know, are they just living a normal life? Are they living a life of fear, worried that uh, the long arm of the law is going to come and get them? I don't, I just, um, there are people in the proximity of, geographically, of the Adelsons that send me things time to time. And the one that you're referring to, um, this person saw Donna and Harvey at Costco one weekend. So it's really funny because I made a joke that they are going to Costco to go get Pepto-Bismol. But um, I was hoping that you would tell me since you're there and have, you know, people in common, but there are people that see, you know, someone saw Wendy going out with this gentleman she's being seen with and another friend that's a female in the last week out to dinner. So there's that. So just little things like that, that I can either confirm, but they're coming to me. And that photo was funny. And I decided to share it with the person who sent it to me's permission. But there's all sorts of people that have come out to the woodwork with me and just giving me little tidbits, maybe not about what's happening now, but things from the past or people that went to school with these people, yearbook photos even. So I I do get a lot of information, but not a lot about how the Adelsons are thinking or feeling or reacting or living. So I think only them or people close to them would know. But what have you heard, Joel? Um, So, you know, we live in a large but very small world and a small community here. Um, And so we know some people that know 
uh, Wendy peripherally, not directly. And uh, from what I hear, uh, she has to look over her shoulder and it's not the most comfortable uh, living conditions for her, uh, as one would imagine. I uh, haven't heard about her, you know, dating or moving on with her life. Uh, would not be surprised to bump into her at one point. Um, you know, probably have been in the same restaurant at the same time and haven't even noticed uh, as far as I know, because it's, you know, it's a big city, but it's still a small city, uh, Miami, in a lot of ways. So, um, but from the little that I've heard, um, she's not living the most uh, carefree life as she probably should not be. Uh, Judy Tsang here from Asian American Legal Focus, a uh, friend of the show and has a YouTube channel and is an attorney and is smart and has been all over this case. By the way, I should have mentioned this. This is our OG case. This is the first case uh, that got us into true crime uh, before we pivoted full time just this past November. Um, Ruth, are you able to tell us more about your contact with your grandchildren? And again, there's certain things Ruth will talk about, not able to talk about, but uh, your grandchildren, Ruth. Yes, thank you, Judy. And Judy's been great and is always there to uh, certainly provide information and, and has really uh, taken on the the course of the story. Yeah, the, the grandchildren is a complex answer. Uh, we have had uh, two visits in uh, 2022. We had a visit recently in, um, in the end of April, May, uh, Phil, uh, Dan's father and the grandfather of the children and Ari, that's Shelley's uh, 19 year old uh, son, uh, did a visit in, um, in Miami. They went down and, and had a, an opportunity. I think they played a little mini golf and so forth. It's, there's some, you know, tough moments in the visits, but they're, happening in that respect. It was Benjamin's uh, birthday, so we had a, um, a sort of Zoom on his birthday in July. But now we're coming up to Lincoln's Bar Mitzvah uh, date, uh, which would be in October. And uh, there is no Bar Mitzvah, according to Wendy. We are not um, included in if there was one or will be one, and there's no set date. Uh, this is, of course, where it's not a normal relationship, even although there is some opening contact. So the, the most important experience as a grandparent, as uh, we talked before about Jewish culture, is the Bar Mitzvah. And I think that this is... Uh, a loss, a real loss, uh, you know, for us. Uh, we have Danny's taluses and um, Phil in his last talus is a prayer shawl. And it's very often used in the uh, time frame of uh, the bar mitzvah where the grandparent, who usually the father or the male or whoever, uh, will put it on the child's shoulders as part of the participation. And we are definitely not an included and uh, so we have like a <laughs> little bit of still tough 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 room uh, to keep going and keep trying and so forth but there were those couple visits and we wanted to we want to still reduce all the challenges that remain wow uh, that is tough to hear a bar mitzvah is a, a very big deal in uh, Jewish law Jewish tradition. It's when uh, the young boy becomes a man and it's a big ceremony and usually a big party. And uh, that is uh, sad to hear that he might not even be having one. And if he is, that Ruth and family are not invited. Um, I am not T-Pain. Uh, Ruth, you, what has been the most helpful thing for you that has helped you process your grief? I think the support, I, I am very grateful to to all the support we, we get from family and friends. 
I do have to share with other people who are going in grief, uh, through grief. Um, there, there has been a wide range of opportunities, uh, and there are, uh, to get help. We have a, another level of kind of help, which is this community that actually, uh, you know, um, Karen, Karen uh, Halpern Cipher has created the opportunity to really launch the, um, the grandparents situation and get the legislation passed. Our lawyers in New York, um, they told me at the very beginning, I'm going to have to write a bill uh, about the grandparent legislation. So Matt Benjamin and his wife, Yetta, they put it in my head, but here I am sitting in Canada. How am I going to write a bill in Florida? So let alone, I wouldn't even know how to write a bill in, in, uh, in Ontario, in Toronto. So this is a, a level of real serious um, support. None of the people, the thing that's really helped our family a lot, no, which is unusual, atypical, is most of friends, family, and all kinds of experts, nobody has dropped off. I mean, it is nine years. And I, and I, and I think that that's probably the most highly, um, valued, uh, support to, on the other hand, uh, as you see, I wrote, I wrote the, wrote the book, but I would actually say that writing the book has not been, um, the highlight of sort of the distraction from the grief. I think I did it during COVID and that was an advantage because, you know, Canada locked down really, really early and for a long time. So I did write the book in the heart of, um, certainly of, of the pandemic, but what is actually really helping me now is I am doing what I'll call after the grandparent legislation. I didn't stop. I'm doing things called what I call intentional advocacy. And actually, I'm speaking, I spoke at Harvard Law School, teaching and talking to lawyers about sensitivity to compassion, understanding what the victim goes through. And the same thing I have spoke, I spoke to, and when I saw you actually, Joel, in Florida, I spoke to one of the organizations there where they're helping the families uh, go through um, the experience from the parkland uh, shooting and so forth. So this is what sort of is keeping me I don't, I will use the word distracted. It is also keeping me moving towards having some kind of normalcy uh, in as much as I can. Well put, and uh, sometimes distractions can be uh, a benefit for sure. Um, Mac 19, uh, by the way, shout out to Jersey Jen Castaldi. I see people sending their uh, prayers right now, so I'm not sure exactly what's happening, but uh, from my home state, so I'm pulling for you. Hope everything is okay. Uh, Mac 19, uh, Ruth Markell, your strength throughout all these years, work and contributions to fighting family alienation are extraordinary. It's something that shouldn't exist. Dan is very proud of you, followed by this comment from Patricia Burns, friend of the show. Anyone who uses their children in their personal battles with other adults and denies them the unconditional love of their grandparents, aunts and uncles does not love or respect those kids by Teresa. I obviously uh, didn't know Dan, but after this many years following this case, I feel I do know him and I admire the man he was. I have to admire you, Ruth, and all your family have uh, having to go through this. Um, we echo those sentiments. Um, John and Singer. I want to thank the, can I just say something? Sure, sure. I want to really thank the people for the comments. Like we do see it and we do hear it and we do feel it. So I, I just want to say, uh, you know, this is not something that goes unnoticed. And, and thank you for the, all this kind of support. 
Uh, John Singer, I was going to ask you a different question, but Teresa just popped this one up. Uh, will Jeffrey Lacoste be a star witness again? What say you, uh, Attorney Singer? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's. I think that his testimony about um, Wendy telling him, I, I believe it was on July 13th, um, in her kitchen, um, in a very stone-cold way, that Charlie had looked um, into hiring Hitman back in 2013. Um, he described that as chilling. That was his exact word. He described it as not a joke. Um, he described it as just dead serious. I think that is extremely powerful testimony. Now, Rashbaum is going to be a much more formidable um, cross-examiner than I think he faced um, in the last couple of cases. Jeff LaCasse did from either Tara Kawas or Krista Coase. Rashbaum's going to challenge him on that and say, well, if it was such a deadpan, serious statement, why didn't you tell anybody? Why didn't you call the police? Um, and, and Jeff LaCasse was asked about that on a very peripheral way. And he said that I was much more focused at that time on my relationship with Wendy. Um, I was I was focused on what was going to happen with Wendy and whether we we're going to continue or not continue. And I sort of, even though the comment was stated in a very serious way, um, I, I, I didn't really challenge it. So Rastam will hone in on that statement. But yes, Jeff LaCasse is going to be very important um, in this trial, just like he was in the last two. Uh, fancy fiction, as far as I know, and I don't know a lot about you, uh, but I, I'm pretty sure you're not an attorney. Um, Timmy, Timmy Sargent says Charlie on the stand is a death sentence for him. Any chance in hell that we see Charlie Adelson take the stand in this case? I knew I'd get a grin out of John Singer, but fancy any chance that happens. Um, yes, I think that it's likely to happen. I think that he thinks he can talk circles around Georgia or Sarah, whoever, um, whoever the prosecution lets cross-examine him. But I, yeah, I think he like he thinks everything that he can talk his way out of things. I've heard that even all throughout his life, he would corner people in his family, usually Donna, and just you know, talk them to death till he got his way or made them understand. So, and you can hear that on the wiretaps. Uh, so I think that he's going to use that tactic here. And I think that he thinks he'll be successful. I think he's that narcissistic. Yeah, I would. Go ahead, John. I, I, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think there's a, a, a very, very strong likelihood he testifies because, again, not only because of what Fancy said, I think not only does he think that he can spar effectively with either George or Sarah. I think he thinks he can charm a juror or two. Um, I think he's has that self-confidence and that narcissism. But in addition to that sort of delusive belief in himself, I think that it's the, the evidence is so strong against him and all common sense points to his guilt that he's not just going to chance it to Rashbaum impeaching certain low-hanging fruit witnesses like um, Rivera or anyone else who, you know, may have contradicted them, himself or herself in the prior two trials, he has to come up with an alternate theory. He has to get on the witness stand and testify um, that he had no involvement in this um, because everything points to his guilt. So I, I would put the likelihood of him testifying is very high. Uh, Teresa, not on the screen, but 
Jeffrey was the best witness I have ever seen in any trial. You might see him again. Um, Fancy, back to you from M Faithful. Wendy is the poster child for privilege, in my opinion. Um, Care to comment on that? Yeah, I share that opinion. I share that opinion. I mean, she's, you know, she's an unnamed co-conspirator in the murder of her ex-husband and children's father, who was her biggest enemy at the time, and she had the most to gain. She um, told several fibs, nothing you could really corner her in and prove with paper, but just all sorts of things, um, mucking up details, distancing herself. Uh, I just think she's definitely not helping law enforcement. She's actively protecting herself, and she's asserting in her deposition with uh, Mag. Vanawa's defense team, um, the whole, all throughout. So she's just, she didn't, she hung up on ISOM, but, um, you know, she does all these things and, uh, somehow she's going to a Coca-Cola leadership conference in Atlanta as a Coca-Cola scholar. She's, you know, sitting on board. She's mentoring kids through nonprofits. She actually spoke at Princeton somehow. I saw someone sent me something that she spoke to a bunch of students at Princeton the last couple of months. So, I mean, they, People in places and organizations are platforming her. So in terms of what we know about this case, her role in this or her lack of role, I mean, she she definitely is a lawyer who's read the affidavits against her mother and her brother. Right. What is she she speaking at Princeton about? I'm curious because her and I went to the same school and I I don't uh, I shouldn't have a single toe inside Princeton University. But what's she speaking about there? Um, I don't remember exactly, but someone sent me a social media post um, by her, t- her being tagged in it. And um, it basically said, you know, it was in front of a, like a fountain or some, some landmark on the Princeton campus saying, you know, thanks for letting me speak to your students today. It was a privilege. And um, it was recently. By the way, Princeton University, if you're listening, you should be ashamed of yourselves for uh, having someone associated with a crime like that speak at your, your university. Not to mention other things I'm not going to get into, Princeton, right now, related to anti-Semitism on your campus that you should be disgusted by. And I'll post some of that uh, separately, but I don't want to digress. Uh, John Singer, um, what's a day in the life of Daniel Rashbaum like right now? He's got uh, four or five weeks maybe six weeks, maybe a little bit longer now that I think about it. Let's say seven weeks. Uh, what's he doing every day now uh, when he goes into the office to prepare for this? So uh, just picking up on what Ruth said earlier, um, you know, the next deadline, I mean, there's going to be obviously motions in limine, which is a fancy way of saying that there'll be motions to keep out certain evidence. Um, evidentiary hearings will take place over the next couple of months. But Picking up on what Ruth said, it's going to be honing and, and finalizing that witness list. Um, you have to, w- with witness lists, you have to um, indicate who you're calling on your direct case in chief. And he's probably finalizing that as we speak. Um, I assume at this point he's listened to all the wiretaps. I assume at this point um, he's in uh, the planning stages for trial, which would be uh, drafting his witness outlines. Anyone you call on direct you're going to have an outline of things you're going to ask that person along with the accompanying exhibits. Cross-examination, same thing. He's He's got a big head start because there's been two trials already. Forgetting the pretrial depositions, there's been trials with trial testimony. And a lot of the same witnesses, June and Chimda, Luis Rivera, that you can go down the list, Detective Isom, 
they're all going to be testifying again. He's going to be carefully scrutinizing those transcripts to pick out whatever discrepancies there were from trial one to trial two, and then figuring out how he's going to exploit those contradictions and then prepare for a third round of testimony. So he's already sort of seen the playbook. There'll be witnesses specific to Charlie, but a lot of the same cast of characters that you've seen and heard testify are going to be ushered out again. So that's what he's doing right now. And it's, it's all hands on deck. When a trial, when you are preparing for trial, whether it's a criminal trial, a civil trial, life stops completely. There is nothing else in your life that has any relevance or significance other than the trial. It's all consuming. You're up all night thinking about it. Your, your entire mental bandwidth is allocated to that trial. John meant to say everything except his wife, Jen, who <laughs> all the time. Uh, John, uh, yeah, uh, Roxanne says, why didn't Rashbaum talk his client into confession? Not, it's easier said than done, right, John? Yeah, I think, firstly, I don't think, again, not knowing the dynamic between Rashbaum and Charlie, I can have a, I have a hard time imagining that Rashbaum has a lot of client control. But um, even if he were able to convince Charlie to confess, or I don't know what kind of plea deal he's going to get, um, he's, the state wants him. They're not going to give him any sort of sweetheart deal. Um I also saw one of the comments from uh, somebody wrote a comment earlier about Charlie being unable to charm um, the, any of the jurors. I agree with that. Um, whether it's in his presently haggard state or whether it was in his prior state, um, he's not going to be able to charm the jurors because he just isn't likable. If you listen to him on those wiretaps, he just, there, there's just a, 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 there's just an air about him. There's just a affect that he conveys that is just prima facie unlikable. And I, I'm, I'm thinking again, we have to demarcate between what he thinks and what we know. We know he's not going to be able to charm anybody, but that's not what he thinks. He's such a delusive narcissist that he thinks he can get up there. And he can convince somebody of his innocence. He thinks he can just talk. And if he's able to give some sort of soliloquy on the witness stand, that that's going to convince somebody of his innocence, which it won't. Uh, Baby doll chiming in. I love how John explains law to us. Thanks so much, John. You're not bad to look at while listening. Jen heard that. Um, <laughs> Ruth, Ruth, Mar- <laughs> Ruth, Ruth Markell to you. Um, we're talking about the defense here, but obviously uh, Georgia Kappelman, uh, she's the she's the queen, uh, the queen bee. We've had her on the show. Uh, she's the uh, prosecutor uh, on the state side. What's it like working with the prosecution? Um, are they I mean, I don't know if you're even able to tell us, but do they reach out to you often? And is she on uh, autopilot at this point? What's that relationship like as much as you can tell us? Well, I want to say a few things. Um, first of all, the state attorney uh, has a very, very good victim liaison. She's sort of invisible at this point uh, to what the public sees. Her name is Helene Potluck. And she really uh, does facilitate a lot uh, with the family. Uh, there's there's several issues. First of all, is preparing us, the family, for what the trial situation will be. 
Uh, we also have the benefit at the state attorney's office where they have a private uh, room for us. I mean, so as we leave the courtroom, there's always a private uh, room for us to to attend or go to. Uh, and she, she does get us prepared uh, with the witness um, you know, sort of experience. Now I'm going to tell you my personal experience, which Georgia has had a lot of sensitivity to. Uh, I don't stay when they start the trial, as soon as the opening arguments are over, it's important for your audience to hear this too. It's a personal situation, but I think it's important. I don't stay for the autopsy. I don't stay uh, for the medical examiner, examiner's report, the initial police reports with all of the car crashes and so on. And um, it's that would be too painful. And the last thing I need personally is a visual image of this terrible emotional experience. Uh, so, so that's one part. Now, Georgia at the very end um, shows some sensitivity to me at the last trial. Uh, Georgia had a picture of the car crash uh, when Danny was murdered. And then she showed the picture, the, it's, it's shown very, very often, of kind of Dan in a blue shirt, you know, his sort of uh, lawyerly look, um, you know, a professional look. And she shows both of them. So Georgia uh, texts to Helene, okay, this is coming up. You know, I should put my head down. So I'm, I'm, I'm showing you a real personal side of these experiences uh, that 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 nobody actually knows about, but the actual victim uh, service, I'm going to call it, because it's a liaison, is is pro probably one of the better things in this terrible experience of you know waiting. The audience that you know you wait and you get sort of frustrated. When we're waiting, we're anxious, right? And the uncertainty, like here's John is explaining very well what the defense is doing. But while all this is happening, we're sitting there in the clouds, you know, it's uncertain to us, right? And and that's hard. That's not an easy thing. Because one of the things to combat any kind of uh, anxiety, trauma, or anything is to give information. So there's not the information readily available as you're talking the whole night to 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 describe uh that that the family has that benefit so the support that we do get from uh the state attorney's office is, is very helpful uh the society page i'm curious about this i can't look it up right now as i'm doing a podcast but uh, it says wendy is attending the summit uh this is about coca-cola and is in the 2023 promo video for this year's coca-cola summit uh, someone wants to send me that to survive the survivor at gmail.com. Also, uh, STS Nation, just a suggestion. You might want to tweet at Coca-Cola. If you do, tag me at Podcast STS and uh, I'll retweet your tweets. But um, if Coca-Cola has given her a platform, uh, maybe they don't know the backstory. Um, Diane says Coca-Cola is poison anyway. I got to say, I love Coca-Cola. It is poison. Um and they Joel, put yes, ma'am, fancy. I've already called out Coca-Cola and tagged them and explained the situation on Twitter. And um, I believe, and if you go to the, to the Coca-Cola, it's Coca-Cola Scholars. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. basically Wendy got a scholarship when she, in 1997. It's a okay. very elite program, and they continue to meet, do things, network, um, and uh, I think she may have spoken last year. So it's basically just this, a lot of people with a lot of prominent positions that are a part of the scholarship program that um, continually embrace her and just kind of act like, 
you know, nothing's happening and have a good time with her at this conference, which she will be attending in Atlanta. So, but if you go to my page, it's already teed up. If you want to just do that, it, it outlines everything, calls them out. At, at your page on YouTube or Instagram? Um, Twitter primarily or X, sorry, X. And um, on X. and I believe if, if you go to the comments, if you go to Coca-Cola Scholars, it's their Instagram page. There's, um, there, you know, there's, there's things to leave there in the comments. Okay. And Teresa here says everyone email Princeton. Probably the quicker way is to tweet at Princeton. And if you tag me or Fancy and or both of us at Podcast STS or at Fancy Fiction, uh, we'll tweet and retweet. Sonny M says boycott Coca-Cola. They should uh, they should know what's going on. Fancy, are you planning to go to the trial? No one follows this more closely than you. Um, Am I finally going to meet you in Tallahassee? And how am I going to know that I'm meeting you? I've never seen um, I, I'm going to try to come for some. Obviously, a lot depends on my schedule and what's going on. I'm very, I'm far away. I'm across the country. But uh, I'm going to try to come to some of it for sure. And um, you'll know when you'll know. I mean, you'll know. I think I'll know. I'm going to ask. I know, I know John Singer has had the honor and the privilege. So I'll get some clues from him and I'll piece it together. Mm-hmm. Um, John Singer, a lot of people, me included, say, why nine years? Um, Dan Markell was murdered nine years ago in his driveway. Why does it take nine years to put Charlie Adelson on trial? Your answer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the reasons why I think, you know, so many of us have become fascinated with this case. I mean, Ruth, you know, referred earlier to sort of the glitz and the glam. Um, and I think that's um, a reason for a lot of the media attention. But for for many of us, it's anger and frustration um, and disappointment that it took so long, especially when, you know, I think we've all known for so long that the Adelson family was behind it. So I think they were hoping to have a clean case. They were thinking um, throughout the state was that Katie Magmanu would flip and they'd have a confession and they'd have direct testimony from her against Charlie, which would button up the case. Um, you had some intern, obviously you've had some politics and in Florida with the former state attorney um, that delayed things. Um, we've, we've all heard about that and, and that's been discussed on this show. So it's a shame that it took um, as long as it did, it took until April of 22 to finally arrest him. And um, it should have taken place in 2016. Likewise for Donna, the fact that Donna is walking around free and, you know, is getting to spend her, her later years um, going to Costco or sitting at home or doing whatever she's doing as opposed to being in a Leon County jail is disappointing. And it's, it's, I think the centripetal force as to why the majority of us here became so gripped with this case. It's pure unadulterated anger that these people are walking around free and that Charlie was walking around free for as long as he was. It was so evident to anybody who listened to the Over My Dead Body podcast or who read the probable cause affidavit in 16 or who's seen any of the specials on Dateline or it's 2020. It's obvious to even the casual observer of the Dan Markell case who was behind this. So I'm angry. We're all angry. And it's just a segue into to talking about Ruth for a second. I mean, we're all so angry here and, and, and this is not our child. This is not our family member. Imagine how Ruth feels, but taking that anger, taking that sadness, taking that grief and looking at Ruth and and hearing how poised, how strong, how articulate, how 
lucid she speaks and she's just such a courageous powerful figure i have the greatest of admiration for ruth markel i don't i don't admire many people but ruth markel is at the very top of the list think about all the emotions we feel and then quadruple them and that's how ruth must feel yet she's able to hold it together with such strength and poise and and she wrote such a powerful and poignant book and ruth i'm i'm in awe of you thank you i just hearing uh, how you express your uh, your honesty i really appreciate it and you know it, it is hard work it's it's hard work to keep it all together as they say it's hard work to actually express it believe it or not and i really i really really thank you for your support and and certainly more than the compliment and uh, mark twain once said he could live on a good compliment for 2 years <laughs> so two months actually i think it was but i mean it really it's it's nice to hear it's it's nice to be acknowledged and i thank you well, and i can vouch john doesn't really admire anyone uh so that's that's good he admires his <laughs> wife true. you ruth are number 2 and tom brady number 3 um <laughs> Scott says I just feel Don and Wendy should be charged uh, and let the chips fall as they may after Charlie's conviction of course if they get off in OJS fashion they'll still be scarlet lettered uh, forever um the woman who does not appear with an actual face but just an avatar which is a a, a baller move as they say that is the mysterious <clears throat> fancy fiction uh one of the most intriguing people surrounding the ongoing Dan Markell case uh she remains anonymous hosting a youtube channel with the same name fancy with an eye fiction uh an homage of sorts of negative sorts to wendy with an eye um fancy your uh, closing thoughts on this evening as we inch toward uh charlie adelson's trial number 1 fancy with an eye is also is a is a nod people can interpret that however they want but it's also in response to the first press release the Adelson's release with all of their lawyers all together the joint statement in which they said that investigators um with too much time on their hands have have you know thought up this fanciful fiction which is their theory of the case that the Adelson's were involved so it's a little bit of a spin on that using their words against them um i also wanted to say i was going to let it go but um t-pain you asked John if what he knew about t-pain the rapper Mm. It's no one mentioned it's Tallahassee pain. The T stands for Tallahassee, mm. from Tallahassee. That's you know how I figured that out cuz uh when you post something on Instagram and ask for your music and I put in the words Tallahassee looking for a song related to Tallahassee and T-Pain came up. Yeah. Yeah, so I just was going to let it go, but I just couldn't. I had to one up everybody on that. And, I love um, it. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. Thank you. And um you know, lastly is, you know, I just cannot Honestly, I wish Daniel Rashbaum all the luck in the world because man, he's going to need to he's going to he's going to need it and he better bring every little bit of cell of charisma he has in his body to make this work and I just really look forward to watching and critiquing cuz I think he's really it's going to have to earn his money because Charlie the case like you said is common or someone said it's common sense it's so obvious and Um let's just hope also the last thing I want to put out there if everybody can just send out good vibes that there are no more delays that yeah. nothing delays this trial that's the sort of my parting word um 
Amen to that. Let's get that going. Uh, Sean B says, Dan, be very proud of you, Ruth. Uh, Sonny, yeah, John Singer, this is an outrage, followed by Bonnie Lee Lopez, friend of the show. We are also angry. Uh, John Singer, who's normally not an angry individual, a co-founder of Singer Deutsch LLP, a graduate of the Georgetown Law Center, a super lawyer every year since he was in diapers and a legal analyst on CNBC. Uh, John Singer, can't really top your last comments uh, um, toward Ruth, but your final thoughts here tonight. Just my final thoughts are, I know that a lot of people will be watching the trial and um, I tell this to my clients as well. Don't don't get concerned um, when Rashbaum is he's going to make points um, with the witnesses. Again, he's had two trials um, of essentially the same witnesses. He's going to be able to make hay. He knows what they're going to say. He's going to point out contradictions. He's going to make little points here and there. He's going to impeach credibility. He's going to confuse Rivera. He's going to make a point about Magmanu and not flipping. He's going to point out the, the parts of the Dolce Vita recording that are favorable to Charlie. Don't get concerned. At the end of the day, juries are smart. They'll see through it. He may make certain points. He may win certain battles. He's not going to win the war. All evidence points to the guilt of Charlie Adelson. I look forward to his conviction, and I, I look forward to the next round of indictments thereafter. Well said. From one of the most articulate people I know, uh, Kathy says, Ruth, praying for you and your family. Uh, the perceptions of injustice, that's so true. Such a strong woman. Ruth, Sentry says, I'm going to cry. Kathy says, Ruth, praying for you and your family. The Society page says, love Ruth. Goes on, Ruth, so sorry for your loss. Those who do not know who Ruth is, she's Dan Markell's mother. She's also uh, author of the widely uh, critically acclaimed uh, book called The Unveiling, A Mother's Reflection on Murder, Grief, and Trial Life. Uh, she was also the president of uh, R&M Enterprises, a leading management consulting firm. Uh, she's been on every uh, TV show you can think of, and she's going to be back on 2020 and Dateline, as you heard. Uh, Ruth. We didn't get to don't get lost in the loss. Uh, what do you mean by that in your final thoughts? I think it, it, it's, a, it, I said it, in fact, Judy's on the show, but prior to me actually participating on one of Judy's podcasts, uh, I sort of started to think because I'm trying to describe grief and I don't want it to be kind of academic. So it just came out, really. I made it up. I don't know if it was five minutes before the show. Uh, don't get lost in a loss. And I think, I think this is really an important message, uh, especially now, Joel, that you've highlighted and you're using it. And then, and it's good. It's a common sense approach to say, look, we're all having difficulties in our life and if you don't think about what are some of the ways that you can, I, I'm trying to work very hard today as a message on what I'm calling positive well-being. That's also my one of my new sort of projects, I'll call it. And if you stay in the loss and you just stay in the loss and you get stuck, and I think getting stuck in everything. It could be your job. It could be your, your work experience. It could be a family situation. And I think one of the most important things is you really have to start to do some self-reflection on when you're getting stuck. So for me, getting stuck is staying in the loss 
after you are entitled to a very, very extensive grief period. So I'm not talking about putting a race on grief. I'm not saying you have to be uh, looking like you're not going to cry, you know, before two years after any loss of a situation or whatever. There's really today a very nice philosophy, which is supportive to people who are in mourning or in grief, that you don't have to run a race. So, but it's after the point where you start to have some other insights and you want to do something, whether it's memorialize your child or a spouse or whoever, that's the part where I'm trying to help people move towards not being so immobilized. So don't get lost in the loss is really a, an opportunity to self-reflect and I don't believe in moving forward. I believe a little bit in moving on in a different way, not like you're going to close the door on just what's happening, what happened to you. So that's what don't get lost in the losses. And I also have to say, although gratitude is a buzzword today, you know, you listen to any of these experts and so forth, I do think that it actually helps people to um move out of loss, start to see what is half decent in your life or what can be workable for you or what can be a little bit of light uh, to change, you know, some of those intense negative feelings. Very eloquently said. I appreciate everyone uh, joining us on the show. Uh, <clears throat> Papa Bear is a friend of the show from Moscow, Idaho, now the infamous home to the murders of those four young college students. Uh, we're going to be discussing that Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern with retired homicide detective Phil Waters from the Houston Police Department, who's investigated over 400 homicides, and Scott Duffy of the FBI, formerly of the FBI. Tomorrow, quick programming note, lunch live, 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. From the UK, we have Dr. Linda Papadopoulos. She's like the Oprah of the UK, and she's coming on to speak about Nurse Lucy Letby, who is convicted of murdering at least seven babies, trying to kill six others at a, uh, a NICU ward in a hospital in the UK. It is her a horrific story. Uh, we're going to get into the psychology of it with Dr. Linda Papadopoulos and Dr. Dana Anderson, who is a forensic psychologist, a uh, horrible story, taking the lives intentionally of young babies just coming into the world. That is 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. Helen Stewart saying love from London, Ontario, Canada. Uh -huh. Until next time, love you, America. Love you, Ruth Markell in Toronto, Canada. Love you, New York City and Boston. I see it everywhere, near, far, in between. Until next time. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. 
What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. <laughs> 